Welcome to the Principal's Office Podcast, where we believe that the principal's job is the most interrupted job on the planet, and creating a clear and cohesive plan is the best way to improve your school. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Miller. I'm the founder of Leaders Building Leaders, and it's my goal each week to introduce you to new strategies and initiatives that are improving schools across the country. You're going to learn leadership principles that are going to help you accelerate your growth, build your teams, and execute on those goals so you can exceed those expectations of the communities that you aim to serve. If you want to learn more about what we do, you can go to our website at lbleaders.com. But for right now, enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Well, welcome. We are in our next 21 Irrefutable Laws uh, session of Leaders a Journey. And I am here with uh, an incredible expert uh, in education leadership. Uh, Joanne Hall is with me. She's a Maxwell Leadership Certified Coach and Trainer. So I'm really excited to hear her views because she's had uh, great experience, not just in the workforce. She has her doctorate in the workforce, let's not say. She hasn't had like the, like the, she didn't have to pay tens of thousands of dollars like some of us, uh, you know, did because, oh, you know, I get your doctor. She actually has real practical experience. So I'm so excited. I've got to know her over the last uh, few weeks. And just knowing that she's part of the Maxwell Leadership um, Enterprise, I just know that she has incredible uh, DNA when it comes to leadership. So uh, Joanne, thanks. Thanks so much for, for hopping on with us uh, tonight. Oh, you're on, you're on mute. We never... Oh, oh, you'd think we'd have this figured out by now. Right? <laughs> we, so, we never will. Joanne, we never will. We never will. It's great. There was something muted somewhere. So <laughs> I, I think I am so thankful to be here, though. I'm really super excited to share tonight um, and hear from other people as well. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, we we've we've you know, I was telling Joanne, I said we've got this, you know, consortium of of uh, leaders and 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 who, you know, hop in. And so we're in our I think this is our seventh or eighth session uh, uh, so far. And I was just saying to you, I said, Hey, it's, Hey, happy veterans day, early veterans day. I got my flag up there of my uh, grandfather. Um, and, and thanks to all the veterans and, you know, Joanne did, did, they, did uh, you serve or do you have a family member who had served? I actually, um, have a brother who served 33 years in the army and retired as the army the U S army Corps of engineers, command Sergeant major. And actually Today is the 10th anniversary of his passing, oh. believe it or not. Oh, uh, but I also have a son who serves. Okay. Well, what? Well, first, what is your brother's name? My brother's name is Michael Buxbaum. Okay. Thoughts and prayers for Michael. Thank you for your service. And and uh, yeah, that's that has to be tough because he was a young man and and uh, too young, too young. Let's too we young. should all live to 150, I think. Yeah. But, you know, honestly, when... Well, we'll get there. But I, th I think when you asked me the reason why I'm in Max, why I'm associated with Maxwell, it actually I didn't know it at the time that he was alive. But um, after he passed, I know exactly why. Oh, I can't. Um, wait to I hear think he story. led me here. Oh, well, great. And then, and then your son's currently serving. What, what uh, branch is he in? He is Army as well. Army as well. All right. Well, well, thank, thank you uh, for being a a mom of, of of a of a. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, just, I don't, I was never in the military, Joanne. I don't think I have the guts to, or the courage to be in the military. I guess if I, if I had to, I would, but it's, it's such an amazing 
when when we think about leadership, right? It's it's like so it's so obvious to just look at the military and say, oh, oh yeah, of course they're leaders. Look at them like they stand up straight and they're very disciplined. And that's not what a leader is. What they actually do is they build incredible relationships with each other, right? Brotherhoods and sisterhoods. They they equip each other like crazy. Like they make sure you are confident and competent and you show uh, strong character. And I didn't know any of this, but we had interviewed uh, Dr. Les Stein. It's one of the first uh, principal office podcasts we did. And he started telling me about this commander's notebook. And I'm like, oh my gosh, the 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 relationship building and the connection that occurs in in the military, I would have never, never guessed in a million years as a civilian that that's their reality. Um, and I'm sure you learned a lot because your brother was there and now your son is there uh, about just a misconception for that I ever had um, in the military because you watch the movies and it's all about do this because you're told, right? But that's, I know when you talk to people that are in the military, they don't, that's not what they share. It's it's more about the, like, I'm, I, I'm bought in, right? Because that's the first law we're going to talk about. I am bought into this and they create that atmosphere and that environment to be bought in. Right. And, you know, after my brother passed, I will tell you, we, I heard some, just some amazing stories of the kinds of, things he did and and how he helped people grow in their careers, how he, he was what they actually call him. You know, you hear people talk about a soldier's soldier, right? That means someone who can relate to all the soldiers underneath their command. Um, but they actually, I I've talked to a Lieutenant Colonel who said he was also an officer soldier. And so he could relate up and down the chain and share, um, and communicate. And you are, you are spot on when you talk about the brotherhood and the kinds of commitment and buy-in that they create to the vision in which they're trying to pursue um, and every and the success of every mission and the purpose in which they do what they do um, and who they're really there to serve um, and how heartfelt it is that um, those folks who are very successful in that setting it's it comes deeply from the heart um, that the head happens to follow yeah and 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 soon in a couple weeks we'll be you know, we'll be talking about the law of sacrifice. I was teaching another group this morning. I mean, they they pay the ultimate sacrifice, right? They sacrifice so much for us to have this opportunity, right? To have things like Zoom and book studies, right? And just the ability to pick up a book and like read it, you know, whatever we want. That's not that's not the reality in every country um, across the globe. And um, so I'm just I'm just super grateful to them. Uh, my kids have learned a lot about, uh, you know, military. My son is very adamant about thanking people for their service. And, you know, I, I, I'm 99% sure he does it always for the right reason. Right. And so, uh, and they're starting to really understand what servant leadership is. And so again, thank you. What was your son's name? I don't know if we, my son's name is Ian. Ian. So we got Ian. Thank you so much, Ian, uh, for your, service uh, to us to be able to do this so i know we've had a couple of people come in we got vanessa she's she's in the bahamas 
and uh, Carrie, she's in California. So, so uh, we got some folks on with this, uh, Joanne. And so uh, we'd love to, to learn a little bit more about you. Can you take the next couple of minutes and tell us about your journey and, 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 and how you got to this point um, and, you know, join Maxwell leadership and, and, and I'm all ears. All right. So let me just tell you a little bit about my journey. So I've been in, in education for 20 and I just this week had my 21 year anniversary in education as well. Um, so <laughs> you're people legal said, enough to drink now, Joanne. You're I know people drink, said drink. you're legal. And I said, does that mean I can drink at work? Is that what that means? Um, Ooh, but, I'm not sure if I do that, but yeah, may, I'm many, like, well, many professors so, maybe did. I don't know. So. Somebody looked at me and said, you can have as much tea as you want. It's great. Um, but I have been in a leadership role in education all 21 years, and I live in the workforce development world. I don't live in the academic programming world. I live in the workforce development world, which means that our world changes every single day as the environment around us changes. But I didn't come to education. I had 15 years in manufacturing management before that. So you want to talk about two different worlds. Wow, yeah. Very, very different. Um, and so I cut my teeth in leadership in a manufacturing management role. So being a female in a pretty male-dominated environment, um, very structured, here's the way you do things. I mean, back in the, well, I'm going to date myself now, but back in the 80s, manufacturing was very top-down, very autocratic. There wasn't this servant leadership thing, right? We just didn't do that. People did things because you told them to do them and we had numbers and outputs and quotas and ratios, right? Then I went to education. Um, there was, I was working in the energy sector during Enron and 9-11 and the backlog in energy just tanked. And I thought I was going to go, I literally, really, this is literally what I said. I'm going to go hide in education for a little while because it can't be that hard. Wow, boy, was I wrong, right? So here I thought I was this cocky little 30-year-old thinking I was just going to walk in and just tell them how it was. And I, I literally had to flip my leadership style on its head, right? It wasn't autocratic. It wasn't top-down. I walked into a consensus-oriented organization that was truly servant leadership-based. And I, I tell this story, I spent the first year making everybody angry, and the second year trying to rebuild and repair all those relationships. Mm. Had I done it right the first time, I would not have had to spend nearly so much time fixing things, right? Um, but in education, it really has been about how do we build buy-in? How do we work together as a community? Um, and so I worked my way through the organization. I've been a dean really the whole while I've been here. I walked into that role. But education even in itself has changed dramatically. And when I think of the 21 years that I've been there, it has been so different in terms of the pace at which things move and how fast change happens. And this is an environment, right? All of us in education know educators don't like change all that much. Like we like things the way they are. Um, and the, you know, the perspective of the value of education both in um, K-12 and who all wants to have a say and who all thinks they're an expert in education now, right? All of that has changed. So I really do believe that all of that experience in manufacturing and that fast paced and turn and hectic nature is what led me to the success as an educational leader because it really, it was a whole lot harder than I thought. <laughs> That's for sure. No, I love that. I love hearing that story and that uh, transition and that 
awareness and realization. And, you know, I, I know that you're a DISC uh, certified uh, leader as well, which, you know, we have most of our principals take and our you know, school leaders when they come through our program. And you mentioned that um, they don't like, you know, educators don't always like change, right? It's education has been pretty traditional for probably 250 years now, 180 days. It starts in September or August, right? It's a, I'm like, right. why does it have to be this way? And I think COVID kind of really kind of taught us that it kind of could be anyway. And I think parents got a bird's eye view too. But 80, was it 84% or so of people are either C style or S style, right? So how and why are two really important parts. So if you're, if you're trying to create buy-in as a leader, you know, you know, first, you know, people buy into the leader, then they buy into the vision. And I've worked in some organizations where a lot of people actually came, I came here for the vision, I came here for the mission. I don't trust the leader. We're going to talk more about that, right? But if you've got that, you know, a buy-in and you've created it, that means that you know how to communicate to all the styles, right? And the S style and the C style and make sure that they understand the hows and the whys. And, you know, this is, this is where we're going. And that's, and that's what really effective leaders do. They, they truly get off of their own agenda. They start bringing everybody into the bigger picture and communicating uh, right in their language about how to do those pieces. Um, but, but what, you know, what this law tells us here, right. Is that, you, you know, prove yourself and, and the people will buy into you. And so tell me a little bit about your, um, so how, right. So you, so you came from the, from the private sector, right. Into the public sector. What was, what were some areas where you had to prove yourself uh, to be able to start to gain, you know, a buy-in in, in you? Well, let me start first with, okay. High D's do really well in manufacturing. <laughs> high D's struggle in education. Let me just start with that, right? I'm a high off the chart DI yeah. and got surrounded by a bunch of S's, right? Mm. Because you might say 84% of the people are S's, right? But I think 100% of the people or 99% in education are S. That's what gravitates them to, right? Yeah, you're right. You're right. They want to help point. people, right? Yeah. Um, and I walked in saying, we have to get results. We can make money. We can generate more of this. Like I was all metric based. <laughs> and what I really had to figure out, my biggest challenge was my language was wrong, right? My, my communication strategies were wrong. Because I thought all those things that had served me well before would, would serve me in the future. And what I had to do is a significant amount of self-reflection to really get people back to the purpose. I like I can't talk about the, it's not so important about the number of people we serve. It is the purpose and the lives we change. And I will tell you, I started out I, I'm sure like any young leader, well, it was 20 years ago. So I can say it was young, right? I can say I was younger 20 years ago, Absolutely. right? But I started out using the right language to create buy-in, mm. but people knew I didn't really mean it. Mm. And so when we, when it was all about, right, when John talks about building character, right? And I wasn't, I had to figure out I wasn't being true to myself. So to create that buy-in, I went and met students. I went and spent time in classrooms. And while I I had been doing some adjunct work before and had been doing some teaching, I really wasn't my, 
my heart wasn't exactly in the right place. And so there was this challenge between my words and my actions that I thought I was being true to that truly I wasn't. So, and everybody could see it, right? So as a leader gaining that buy-in, I had to go to their side of where they were and approach everything from the people we were serving, meet truly meet with students um, and and really not just buy into the purpose of why the educational institution was there, but really meeting people one-on-one and learning to understand their trials and tribulations so that I was making sure that I was using the right language. And when I was saying things, I really, they truly came from the heart. Now, right. I will yeah. I will tell you today, I I love that my unit makes money when we do things and we register a lot of students, but someone actually asked me on my anniversary day, what was my proudest accomplishment in my 21 years? And I had to really think about that I've done a lot of really great projects and implemented some really great innovations. But at the end of the day, the thing I'm the most proud of is that I walk in my college every single day and make a difference in the community and the people of the lives we touch. I work with Department of Corrections reentry students. I work with homeless students. I work with people who are working and trying to get a new job in a supervisory role. I truly now have embodied the, the purpose and the mission of what we do and which when you talk about how do I get buy-in from my team to create new ideas, everything is about those people that we're serving and why we're doing what we're doing. And then we do all the other stuff in the background because we have to, because state regulations or whatever. Right. Um, but that's really where the commitment and the buy-in comes from, because I've surrounded myself with people who are in that, who, who feel as passionately about what we do and who we serve as I do. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like we went to the same university. The uh, we both violated the law of the picture, like right. I mean, we didn't understand at the beginning that not everybody was going to work as hard and was as you know driven or like had these same goals. And then we had to like, oh shoot, if I don't figure out how to connect with people, uh, it doesn't matter how hard I work, right? When John talks about the law of the lid, right? I mean, you're you're the lid on your organizational success. And I just love, you know, uh, this is our 14th law, I think, right? And they all just kind of keep on coming back. Like I always say, like, you know, John will say, he's like, yeah, I mean, there's no law that's more important than another. They're all important. They all have consequences. You're not going to be great at all. But when you, when you actually study the whole book, like we have uh, over these last couple of months, and I just keep coming back, oh, that's, that's the law of the picture right? Or that's that's the law of the inner circle, or that's, I mean, whatever it is, it just keeps on coming back. But this law, the law of the buy-in, if you can't get, if you can't influence people, if you can't build a connection, which I heard you, I, I had to build relationships, right? I had to, I had to get in the classrooms. I had to do something different that might not have been in my strength zone or my, um, or my learning zone to be able to make that a connection and uh, create that buy-in. Well, and I came from an environment where I was sure that just, and maybe it was that high D in me, right? Because I was sure I was never going to fail, right? I was high D, I could do anything, right? Um, but I really, I walked in thinking the only thing I needed was competence. Mm -hmm. And I had no doubt I could do what I needed to do in my job, but I thought I could do it alone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so when I started, and I just thought if I was convincing enough, people would People would buy into what I was saying, right? Um, and it actually took some 
open, honest conversations with people who said to, who were honest enough to say to me, like, we think you're smart. No one ever questioned whether you were smart. We just don't know whether we like you or not. And we don't know if you have the same mission and purpose that we do. Mm. And that's where I, I realized I needed to shift my words. I needed to truly take a look at where people were coming from and realize that I was no longer in a widget business mm. and that people aren't widgets. And I think that was a transformation for me um, that I think some people who come into education right in the beginning of their careers, they come in with that knowledge and that mindset. But those of us who were in, you know, were in a different business structure that was different and you know people aren't widgets coming off of an assembly line right and every single person has their own story and and taking the time to stop and listen to the story whether they were on the the faculty side whether they're on the administrator side or the student side um and i spent i've spent a lot of my career working with dislocated students and underserved students and poverty related students. Um, and that's very different. It's a very different set of student and a very different set of challenges. And so you really have to listen with your heart first to and really open yourself up to be able to get that buy in to what you want, what you know, is the right step for that individual to help them succeed. Yeah. I mean, you think about what, what, you know, courage it took to, for someone to tell you that. Right. And I and then I also think what courage it took for you to go, hmm, I need I need to change. Right. I mean, that's what John says, like things if you want things to change, you need to make sure you're changing first if you want to get different results. And I think that's where younger leaders, I know I was there for a while and like everybody should be leaning into me. Uh, right. Or I've got the vision. This is where we're going. And John talks about this in the chapter. He says, he says, most leaders think that, you know, if the vision is you know powerful enough that everybody's just going to want to be a part of it. And that could be true at the very beginning, but it only gives you like mm, three to six months, maybe. And if you're not demonstrating those three C's that I heard you say, character, uh, competence and commitment, um, you know, folks won't continue to go along with you. They'll go find it somewhere else. Yeah. Right. Well, it's like John says, right. You, they're either going to, they might love your vision, but if they don't like you, they're going to go try to find another leader. Right. So you gotta, you have to balance that, making sure that your vision is strong and, but that your, your competence and character are going to take you through as well. Um, and I think that is, more true, I don't know, just having experienced both environments, I think it's more true in education than it is in even in the manufacturing sector, um, because it is such a heart-driven occupation and industry that people really do want to make sure that everyone's best interest is at heart um, to get that vision and buy-in. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, and and I was reading through, so, you know, as a part of the program that everybody's in here, uh, Joanne, like, I've built, like, some mini lessons, like, in uh, between, so I was reading some of my work about, you know, you know, some of the lessons, and, 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 you know, you know, the question that's in the books, when have you bought into others, and I was like, well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a recovering gambling addict, right, so, like, my first kind of, like, you know, buy-in was into the program, right, I had the buy-in, 
that, you know, there would be this life without gambling with, you know, with these words like honesty and humility. And I'm like, what, like what, come on, I'm 29 years old. Like what? Right. But it's, it's just all of a sudden I built momentum. And then, and then there was this next, you know, vision of Dave Ramsey and being debt free and, I was like, oh, I'll never be debt free. I owe so much money, but he just had a plan and a purpose. And I believed in him and I started to kind of follow that. I gained momentum and then boom, I was debt free in my family. We did our debt free scream a couple of years ago. And, and then, you know, and then I was, I was well overweight and, and I was like, I didn't, I was like, oh, I'll always be fat. Right. I was always, you know, you know, fatty boom batty was what, you know, one of my, you know, friends called me and I was like, yeah, okay, I'll just embrace that. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to be this anymore. And I found a program and I just started to follow Right. I mean, that's what it takes that, you know, people need to find someone that they believe in and then they just, just follow that person. Right. And I think that's where, you know, the struggle happens a lot is that, in education specifically, we really buy into a title or a certification makes the leader, which you and I both know we tried that. It doesn't work. <laughs> so can you tell a little bit, I mean, talk a little bit about that. I mean, being in higher education, I mean, that's kind of like, we, we do see that, like we fall into this kind of, you know, positional trap. If we go all the way back to the to the law of influence. I mean, we kind of fall into this trap at times. So what experiences do you have with that? And how did you kind of overcome that? Well, I, I would say part of it is the title, right? So if people think, oh, you're a dean, right? So they think that's really fancy, right? Um, but the other trap that I think we get into is also, you know, it's a, it's a hierarchical kind of piece in the sense that, well, if your degree qualifies your worth. And we find that amongst different higher educational institutions, right? I work at a technical college, but the four-year institutions, do we like them? Do we not like them? How does that work? Well, you don't have your PhD, so your, your answers must not be as smart as my answers, right? And so we run into all these different pieces where we're trying to interestingly tell our students that your voice matters, your thoughts matter, it doesn't matter where you came from or what your background is yet in the background in their higher education institutions, some of it does matter. And it's, so it's really an interesting challenge. And I think being able to, to get through environments where you can listen, but then also find professional ways to share and create that influence. I think that has been the most interesting effort for me in the educational arena, right? It's a matter of making sure that every voice is heard at the table um, and trying to make sure that there's space for other people um, so that regardless of their role, right? Because that's the one thing that I love about education. It doesn't matter if you're a faculty member or if you're an administrator, you're a support professor. It doesn't matter mm. um, that everybody's voice has merit and worth. But I think sometimes people come in from outside our organizations and they feel like they have a spot, like there must be a ladder somewhere, like your voice, Joanne, you're a dean, what do you think? Um, and it took me a long time to stop, right? And John talks a lot about this, of making sure that from an influential, you know, being a person of influence, that you're really listening first. And people would always come, like, I can tell you, they would walk in my office, well, what do you think? All right, remember I told you I'm a D. So D, you ask me what I think, I'm going to tell you what I think. 
And it took me probably 10 years to stop and say, well, I don't know. Does it matter what I think? What's your recommendation? What might you presume, right? How might, and it didn't matter who it was that was coming into my office doing that. Um, or if we're sitting in a meeting, having a conversation, being the last one to speak, right? John talks a lot about that as being a person of influence, to be the last one in the room with an opinion and value everyone else's first. Um, and I, I'm not sure if it was my manufacturing background or my high D that made that more of a challenge right out of the shoot. Um, but I think that's something, and, and that I feel like has been, um, if we talk about where from a, from an influential standpoint, the impact on your teams, um, I think I have spent the most time because I have a lot of people who are really high achievers with high, with lots of ideas and teaching them to sit back and let their teams speak first. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's been really interesting is to be able to do that is to surround myself with people of, I don't know anything what they're talking about. So for example, I'm, I'm working on this huge project. We were providing Pell into the prisons. So we're part of this whole big second chance Pell initiative. I don't know. I know a lot about delivering education. I know nothing about financial aid this much other than I got it at one point in my career, you know, when I was young. And so having to rely on other people and when you, you can't have an opinion because you don't know what they're talking, right. They have to educate you. Yep. Yeah. Well, it just, you just, I've heard it in your voice and your words on the back end many times. And I, it, it made me think of this quote that John will say, isn't it nice when the people believe in the leader, but isn't it extraordinary when the leader believes in their people? Right. And I've had to, I'm, I, I too am in an organization. I'm new to this role. And I mean, I've just had to say to people a couple of times, like, I totally believe in you. Even if it's wrong, it's okay. Like, but you're here for a reason. You have skills and talents too. I'm sorry. Maybe you didn't feel equipped or empowered before, but that's not how I lead. I can't lead that way. Cause I can't, it's not my job to be in charge of everything. I mean, I'm responsible for it all, but I, I'm not required to do it all. That's why we have all these other employees. And I heard you talk about that. Like, hey, you can invite people to the table, but if you don't give them a voice, what's the point, right? They're just filling a seat, right? And then, so then you can, you know, check off a box of, well, of course everybody was there. Well, you already made up your mind, right? And that's all, that's all part of this, this law. And then the other piece that I wanted to kind of, you know, finish on this law was, you know, in the, in our participant guide, that's question, have you bought into your leadership and what can you provide as support? You know, it's interesting. We got lots of, you know, teacher leaders, uh, you know, in this program and we run a teacher leader Academy as well. And the first question that they typically say to me uh, is, I don't know why I'm here. I don't, I'm not a leader. Right. And I go, well, you're a principal thinks you are. So let's just start there, right? And then how come you don't think you're a leader? And then we talk about how leadership is influenced. So again, someone who came from the private industry to the public industry and is now is in a dean in a you know positional role, like how do you how do you have those conversations with people when they may have that self-limiting belief that they don't actually know or realize that they are a person of influence? Because I know that's one of your favorite books, right? Uh, it uh, is a person of influence, yeah. It is because I think everyone is a person of influence and that's why that one's so important to me. Um, but really how I have, I have worked with 
folks with around the college and and on my own teams, it's finding ways to let their voice be heard. So I'm going to give you a great example. So I also teach um, for the college. I do some of the professional development trainings. I do some trust training and I do um, some project management training. And so I've seen people all across the college and I'm on a lot of different cross-functional teams, but I've had people in those trainings when we'll talk about something, one individual in particular said, you know, we're working on this project. I have five or eight years of experience in this outside before I came here, but no one ever asked me for my opinion. So we're in this other meeting two or three weeks later, and this question comes up that I know he knows the answer to, and he's thinking, and he won't, he won't speak up, and he won't say anything because he's been stepped on enough in this meet in in previous meetings. I turned around, I looked at him, I made eye contact with him, and I just and I just said, you know what? Don't you know something about this? Open the door for him, and twenty other people in the room now saw him with the expertise that he brought to the table. And then all these questions started coming at him that he could answer. Um, and it elevated his experience in the room and, and how people viewed him. And it helped him um, create this set of confidence that he didn't have. And I'm really excited to say that was that was two years ago. A month ago, he just got promoted, right? But that's where those things happen where people find their voice and somebody has to open the door for them yeah. um, and show them that it's okay. Like and. And sometimes I like, you know, the answer to that, don't you? Because there's a lot of those folks who are going to just sit in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just love that. I've really enjoyed our, uh, our, our first 30 minutes here. This is great. And I can't wait to get the law of victory. There's two things I want to do before we get there. Uh, you know, Vanessa's on with us and, and she may or may not be, you know, available, but I want to make sure she has a chance because she always asks really great questions and she's got some great, great information to share. But I also want you uh, uh, Joanne, to talk about, um, you know, how do we get in touch with you? Where are you in the country? And with that, so let's, let's see if, you know, Vanessa, if you're able to unmute, if you've got a comment or thought, a question about the law of buy-in, uh, you know, Vanessa asked a really great question last week when we were talking about the law of the picture. And Vanessa, I've been thinking about you all week about your question about, you know, how hard we work as leaders and, um, you know, we're, we're modeling the way, right? And and I got to thinking about Liz Wiseman's book, Multipliers. I don't know if you've read that, uh, Joanne, uh, but, you know, as, 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 you know, leaders, we can be multipliers or de-minishers, and sometimes we, we can outwork our people, right? I mean, we outwork them to the point where they get intimidated by us. And when we're just trying to, like, move forward, and as a, as a D, right now, are you a, like, you're, so you're a DI still? Yeah. Yeah, but I used to only be a D, so I'm really proud of myself that I, I now am a DI. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was an IDC and and now I'm a CDI. Uh, but like, but I, but I, when you know Vanessa asked a question, I thought about. It. I was like, oh, I know exactly where she's coming from, right? We're like, even uh, today, I was breaking down boxes, cleaning out closets, like doing all these things, and the team was definitely helping, right? Um, but there was a part of me being like, well, you really should be doing this. Right. But, but, but it is like the goal, like we can, we, we will do things to show that, you know, nothing's ever beneath us as a leader, but at times then, but we can be in those situations where we're working those really late hours and we're like, man, am I the only one? Right. And I'm, I'm sure you've been there, Joanne, right? Like, oh, like, doesn't anybody else care as much as I do? Right. Right. 
Well, and the challenge too, and what I've seen, and, I, and I've, ha I've had this feedback and I've seen this feedback from other leaders um, inside our colleges that you think you're doing all the right thing because you're trying to lead the way, right? Yeah, and so yeah. in your mind, you're you're showing people how hard you want them to work. But at the end of the day, what you're really doing is like, nobody wants your job. Like nobody mm -hmm. wants to ascend. Like, so you're not multiplying because people think that you just, have to work 15 hours a day to do your job when really we need to be good role models of using our PTO time and, and, and making sure there's, there's, and I don't know, right. We just heard that, you know, balance is kind of this arbitrary thing, right. Marcus Buckingham said, <laughs> yeah. let's not talk about balance, right. Harmony, 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 harmony. Right. Um, but like if we if we are doing things that really we feel like are superhuman and the rest of our teams around us are saying there's no way I can live up to that expectation right then we're overworking that right we're we're creating this environment where they don't even think they can succeed because we're telling them they have to be superhuman to be able to do it yeah. so being able to find that that balance of getting the work done but finding time to have conversation and relationship um and that's like you have to be diligent and deliberate about it and i think that out of all the things i joined i joined this organization back in 2020 mm -hmm. and i think that's the biggest thing i've learned along the way is i've i've learned to calm down i've learned to slow down to speed up yeah and i've learned to take time for the things that matter the most which are the people on my team and the results will happen if you hire good people and you have good people around you, it will happen if you make space for them to do it. And I can tell you, no doubt, my business has doubled in the last two and a half years since I've joined the Maxwell organization. Oh, I love it. Because I've slowed down to speed up and I've let my team do what they need to do. Well, great. Well, can you spend a minute or two and just, you know, you know, tell us what is your business? How can how can people get in touch with you? What are some of the services yep. that you can help people with? Yep. So I, while I'm a college dean, and I actually I teach high school marching band too, so I work with high school kids. I'm I'm a little bit everywhere. Um, but I also must am a speaker, coach, and you know, and trainer in all things leadership re revolving around Maxwell. So I'm a certified disc disc consultant as well. So and I I have a blog, my own blog. So hallway consultingcom H A L L W A Y dash consulting.com is my blog. Um, and so I post that on LinkedIn and, um, and try to communicate there with folks as well. So they can see really where, what my thought process is, but I'm in Wisconsin. Um, I'm in Wisconsin, but I, I do work with clients all over the country. Yeah. I love it. I was on your, I was on your blog earlier today and you got some really great, uh, you know, thoughts there. So that'd be a great spot. So we'll make sure we we share that back out. And if you're on LinkedIn, make sure you uh, connect with uh, Joanne. And, and so, so let's, so let's take everything we just shared and thought about with the law buy-in and then let's shift it to uh, victory. Right uh, now, hold on before that, everybody make sure you write down your action step on the law of buy-in, right? What are you going to do to help your people buy into you? Like what, you know, what it, is it a character you know, piece you need to look at? Is it a competence piece? Is it a, is it a commitment piece, right? Make sure you take a look at the, at the book and those three pieces and just, you know, you just need to like, if your people aren't following you for one reason or another, it's probably one of those three C's. For me, it was character. I had no idea, but I was completely blind to that. 
you know, I've, I've been really on this heavy, uh, you know, Joanne and, and, you know, some of my other groups about it's impossible to be stuck in one part of your life and it not impact all the other parts of your life. Right. And, and, and it, you know, typically comes down to like a, you know, character misalignment, uh, right. You just, you know, doing stuff you shouldn't be doing it, you know, is not right. But living that life of values, I heard you talk about that earlier and, and just those true values modeling the way, and you think you're modeling the way because you're at work and modeling, but you know, people are really smart. They can see right through you. Right. So that was me. Um, right. I was very committed. I was pretty competent as a as a getting things done. I was incompetent in terms of getting things done through the talent of other people. So that's what I've been working on my last uh, five years is really about team building, uh, team leadership, letting go, empowering people, delegating and being okay with it not being exactly the way I would do it, which you know is still a daily battle in my world, but let's go. So make sure you write down your action step. All right. Now, let's move from buy-in to the law of victory. I mean, this one, leaders find a way for their teams to win. And, and you know, you know, people want to follow successful people. Everybody wants to be part of a, of, a, of a strong team. And I was listening to John's video, you know, before we hopped on, he was giving the example of if, you know, LeBron James was choosing a team and John was choosing a team, like everybody wants to be on LeBron's team because that's, that's where it is. But, you know, it's, as you as you grow, as your as your organization grows, uh, and you know mine too over the nine years here, like it's just interesting where you know folks will say, "Oh well, I heard it from this person, and I want to be part of it," right? Or they're here, like like your success, your victories will create a reputation where people want to be part of of what you're doing, and um, you know. Most organizations, you know, they don't want to be a part of something that's not very successful, that's not going to put them in a good situation. That's why John always says, if you're going to join an organization like, hey, learn about their, um, what's your capacity for growth, right? What's, you know, what's what's their organizational values? Do they line up all these pieces? But like, are they heading in the right, you know, direction? Because the people want to be successful. Nobody wants to work on an unsuccessful team. Now, I'm a Chicago Bears fan. I don't know if you like football, but oh my God, are we awful? And you're in Wisconsin. So, I mean, I can't even, I can't even talk about it. I mean, even, even when the Packers are down, they still annihilate the Bears. It just doesn't matter, right? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's sad, sad, but true. Um, right. But, you know, but good leaders, you know, I just love like, like the picture John put in the video, he said, you know, an effective leader, a quality leader, a high-performing leader, they climb to the top and on their way back down, they're not talking about their successes. They're talking about, hey, I, would you like to see it with me, right? I, I would love for you to join me. You were like-minded. You've got these skills. Like, I want to help you succeed too. And I just, I just really think about that. Like, it goes back to the positional stuff we've talked about a lot and and what is it what does it truly mean to be victorious? I mean, have you casted that vision of what success and high high like effectiveness? Because there is no end game to education. Like our field is like it's really interesting. I mean, when you think about it, there's an end of year standard for success dictated by I have no idea what, right? But it drives what people think is quality education 
And I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm not going to argue with that. But there's so many other parts to victory when you're educating young people and creating foundational values in their life forever. So I just think like this law of victory is such an interesting conversation in terms of like the education. So I'm just really curious, your field being in high ed, private ed, you know, public sectors, all these other pieces, what, what are some of your thoughts around, around this law and in our field, especially? Well, I want to talk a little bit about this high school marching band thing that I oh, do, yes. right? Yeah, so, so I, I marched in high school marching band and drum and bugle corps when I was a kid. And I have been teaching, I've gone back to teach as a volunteer. Um, oh gosh, I don't know, 30, 35 years now I've been doing that. And so when we start talking about the law of victory, um, to me, that is really what where that hits home because I'm working with a bunch of high school kids who come from all over the high school who really don't have a lot in common. And I teach them to spin flags. And you're right, I teach the color guard. So we're spinning flags and we're dancing and we're, you know, spinning rifles around. Um, but it really is about helping these kids start to find their own value and their own voice, right? Now, we might teach them to spin and the law of victory really starts to come into the point of when we all start to work together as a team and when we all succeed as a team and every individual member does their part to make the whole successful, right? So that's when John talks about having this diverse set of skills and how do we how do we bring a variety of skills to the table? Um, and especially working with high school kids because a lot of times they don't have their voice and they're trying to find ways in which they feel like they can contribute and be part of something bigger than themselves. And the reality is, right, the seniors have to help the freshmen and they have to bring them along. And so you have not only this group entity, but you have these kids learning leadership to bring bring the underlings along and learn the expectations and learn how to be successful and to put in the time and the dedication and all those things. Um, and so I think that's really an interesting way to look at this law of victory because we really have, do have to take into account sometimes this it's a competitive group and many times they don't win. And the victory isn't in the competition placement. The victory is in who they become as adults yeah. Um, and what they do after high school, how they how they contribute back to their communities, and how they've helped other people come along. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, sometimes you think in these competitive activities, it's all about only if you win. And I always tell these kids, right, we don't control anything other than ourselves. And we control how we approach situations, how we take the feedback we get and how we get better every day. And that starts to become the win in education. It's how do we help people learn to to self-reflect and how do we help them make better steps every day um, and move themselves forward in a way that gets them to whatever success is for them, right? Yeah. Victory might not be in being rich, but it might be in a career that they love. It might be in a family, strong family situation, strong relationships, giving back to their community, all of those things in education, really, I, I think are the victory. It's because we can't tie it to a win, right? Like right. what, as a teacher, like, okay, well, if all my kids, like not everybody's going to get A's, right? It's just not yeah. realistic. And that's, it doesn't work that way. So. And, and nor, and nor would it benefit everybody. if everybody Right. Right. Yeah. Now, and I mean, helping kids find the right path. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love that. I don't know if you were at that Dr. Tim Elmore, you know, who's part of our faculty now. I just, he said, creating the child for the path, not not a path for the child. And that's like we've I feel like we've lost that. Right. I mean, I love I hope everybody caught what you said. You 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 you, you talked about, you know, the purpose of victory isn't to, like, get a trophy. The purpose of victory is growing into the person that makes, you know, trophies a habit in a sense, you know, I mean, that's like, that's why we set a goal. Like we don't set a goal to achieve the goal. We set a goal to work, to be the person that creates now that goal is just a part of my daily. And then I set the next goal, right? I set the next step. And those three, you know, uh, particular pieces, you know, that unity of vision, diversity of skills, and the leader dedicated to victory and raising players to their full uh, potential. I mean, that's your job as a leader, set vision, equip people, root them on, celebrate their failures as much as you celebrate the victory, because the failures are what are going to get you to victory. Uh, right now, we don't accept failure. We know, hey, we're going to keep on working. And and when John tells the story in the video, everybody, if you've watched the video, right, he tells the story of that first church, right, that had like three people in the in the congregation, and he's like two. 300 was the goal and they had 299 he goes well that wasn't our goal right and he goes out and he says i just i i probably heard that story like a thousand times i just love it because i just know like yeah which one of you two want to be the hero right i mean he just sells it so well right. I mean, but that's the whole point it's like you know victory is the key and he and he he shares he that you know that I can't remember if it was, you know, Stan or one of the gentlemen, you know, came up to him when he left the church and he said, I'll never doubt God and I'll never doubt you because for the first time that person tasted victory. And that's, and if you want credibility as a leader, be victorious through the, through the efforts of everybody. Right. I mean, there's no way John got 300 people in that church by himself. You right. Know? And and so we're we're starting to see this with the school I lead too is some you know someone just came to me and they're brand new to our organization like well, I ran into people and they want to learn how to apply to our school like how do they do that because right? they're hearing right they're hearing and it's all about influence and referrals and all these pieces I mean that's when you know right uh, uh, when you're starting to gain success is when you know people who have no reason to follow you just start to follow you. Right. <laughs> like, I don't know. I heard something. Now you have to follow through and right. be competent and and, and uh, commit to them. Uh, but yeah. Well, and I just think there's so much power in helping, right? When when people don't see the vision, but they, right? If you can get them to buy into the vision, but they don't have the faith or the belief in themselves to get there and the value of the confidence in which they can take the next step and become even bigger and better, um, and do things they never even thought were going to be possible when they can do that as as part part of a group, right? And they can find and leverage their own strengths. Um, you know, I have I have a very diverse group of kids that I work with, and they're all right. And some are great. They're in the school musical and they do all kinds of other things too outside of this group. Um, but how they help one another and how then they can see how we put a team together that then leverages the strengths of every individual. 
I just think that's going to serve them purpose. You know, that's going to serve them purpose their whole life if they can use that um, in terms of team building as well as their own personal confidence, right? Yeah. And once once someone, I don't know about you, but once someone tastes victory, oh, yeah. like they don't want to go back. That's right. Like I like I always use the the phrase with the with our kids too. Like, why do we want to be average? Mm. Like, why why do we just want to be average when mm. when there is so much more inside us? And I always tell them, you know, we're in a performing performance activity. We want to give every ounce of what we have to the people who came to see us because they want us to succeed too. So let's give them what they came to see and let's really show them what we're capable of. And right, some years they really are kind of average and the, the, the technical skill and their abilities just really aren't all that strong. But they get, if they can give the best of what they can give, then next year we build on that. And then a year after that, we build on that too. And that's no different than, you know, the students we're dealing with in higher ed or the team of people I have that I work with, right? We're just trying to take people one more step every day. And if they can see and feel that victory, and that's what we don't always, we always, we don't do very well sometimes is celebrate, right? We got to celebrate the steps. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that we can close out that victory and then move on to the next one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, hey, everybody, if you haven't taken the time to watch like a really, a really entertaining um, marching band, right? You got like schools like Grambling and Ohio State. Like, I mean, people go to the game to watch the, the band. band. Yeah. I mean, that's all they talk about. I mean, yeah, maybe it was a great football game. Like, Did you see how they put the dot on the eye, right? I mean, they're like, right. oh, this. They made the rocket move, right? Yeah, and they think about how much, I mean, when I watch, I go, I wanted people to really realize how much time and effort has been put into that move, right? Or 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 that piece. But to your point, it's a lot of failing forward. It's a lot of celebrating when we get it wrong, but also get it right in our learning. I mean, it's it's all those pieces. And this, this law, you know, it really kind of hits on that because, there is there is the perfect Ohio, I mean, right? I mean, they'll oh they nailed it that time, right? And right. It's, nope, we got to do it again because we didn't quite get it right. And so the most effective schools that I have worked with and the leaders that I worked with, like they understand that perfection probably isn't attainable, right? Because there's only two things that are perfect: the hope diamond and people. But they strive for excellence every single piece and they won't just say ah close enough that's bottom line leadership right that's low level leadership that's average leadership and in the john maxwell enterprise in the maxwell we don't say the word it's a, a the a word's a bad word so john john right. doesn't let us even say that word um but and and yeah and and you're right who who just wants to who just wants to just yeah get done it that's 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 not a way uh-huh. Yeah. And right. So I live in Wisconsin, right? I, I, the, my, one of my favorite Vince Lombardi quotes, right? When he talks about, you know, we're going to strive for, for, when you strive for perfection, excellence happens, yep. right? And, and helping people find that in themselves. And there's a lot of times they surprise themselves. I didn't think I was capable of that. So, you know, back to when we were talking about the buy-in as well as just really helping people figure out um, you know, figure out that there are d- things deeper in themselves and that they are capable of so much more. And it's sometimes, especially working with kids, it's just, it starts small, 
Yeah. And it's that one little thing, but I found it's really almost no different than working with my staff in higher ed. It's the same thing. Yeah, I love it. One of the folks in the in the Zoom said, uh, it's uh, Vanessa, she just said that her daughter plays trombone. Uh, so when she made like the wall of victory, you know, became clear. And 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 so I don't know. Hey, you may not have been at the Maxwell, um, the IMC. And I want to just kind of make sure we talk about that, your kind of experience in your three years of being a member of the IMC. But one of the years, um, their names are, oh, it's uh, Gloria and her husband, uh, I think it's John. But they lead, they are, um, oh, I want to say maestro, but that might not be the correct terminology. But they lead orchestras. And they oh. brought an orchestra into our workshop. And it was just so incredible to hear the members of the orchestra and the different you know, instruments talk about trust and diversity and skills and, and what in unison, right? They're like, I can't worry about whether the trombone's doing their job. I got to do my job because if I start worrying about other people, then I'm going to mess up, right? And I think that's where I'm at in organizational leadership with my team. And I was like, how come you're worrying about that? Like, that's that's not that's not something for you to worry about, right? What you should be worrying about is there a, a system in place, right? Did they follow the process, you know, to get here? You can worry about that, but don't worry about whether or not John John should be getting paid two thousand dollars or one thousand dollars. Like, that's my job. Like, I'll I'll check on those pieces, but I'm but I'm counting on you, that right? But those but those things happen, right? We start to worry about other things. And that takes us away from victory. It drifts us away from victory because we're more worried about the, maybe it's the image or like, um, or um, uh, maybe not image or just like the hmm, FOMO. But there's something that like, there's some like emotional piece that takes us away from worrying about what matters. And this law of victory, it's like, no, I do my role and the team wins. Isn't it great when I don't care who gets the, you know, who like gets the credit, like when the team wins, the team wins. And I can't believe you pulled a Lombardi quote. And I thought you were just going to say, when he gets to the only thing, it's right. He said, it's the only thing, right? He said, you know, and, and, and that's, and that's what matters. Yeah. yeah and you, you know, I think that's where some of these activities and, and maybe where some of our kids are missing out. And when I think about the impact of COVID, when these kids lost all of these activities, um, because I think that's one of the biggest lessons they learn from, from these group activities in school is that I have to, I have to be accountable and responsible to myself. And when, when I do that and I'm accountable and responsible to the group, then we all win. Um, so when, you know, when I think the, the music example, it's really right as the leader, we might be the one who writes the music to cast the vision of what it is we want to hear, but everyone, right. We're no good. If a, if a bunch of musicians can't play it. So we have to write it in a way that they can understand it, right? So we use the language of music and we need to count on them to each play their part and then guide them when one needs to be higher and one needs to be lower. Mm -hmm. um, and it really is, I love your example. It's really, life is like a big giant orchestra, right? And it's all these, these different these different instruments, which are the people in our organizations that bring that music to life and make things happen. Um, and when we do it all together, it really is, it's magic when it happens. Yeah. And really. when it doesn't, right, it sounds like a lot of really bad notes and squeaks. Oh, they were almost there. Or they, almost, oh, yeah. Bless, in the South, we say, bless their heart. They, they right. really hard. 
again. Right. Nice try. So, okay. So your action step is to write down what are you currently doing to help others become more successful? What might you do to increase your commitment in this area? And I, I think that, you know, for me, I, oh my gosh, I mean, Joanne, we don't have enough time on like the recording to even think about this, but my, my first the seven, eight years in teacher leadership, in a sense, like I didn't care to help other people. I, I mean, I just, it just wasn't in my DNA. Like I would give them something or I make, but it's like, you should figure that out. You know, you should be able to figure that out. And so I was, I was uncommitted to the success of other people and only worried about my own self and climbing my own ladder. And if you've been part of our programs, I've already told you all those stories. If you want to learn more about those stories and you can hop into one of our other programs, but, but it was, it was until I finally realized, oh gosh, I can't do this alone. And I better figure out how to build connections and rapport with, and care about what other people care about. Cause if I don't, I'm going to be successful, but I'll never be significant. I will never achieve significance. And I heard you say that, like, isn't it when you taste that? And Scott Fay was one of the co-founders of the Maxwell, uh, you know, leadership. And that he always, he said, he said, man, once you taste significance, success will never satisfy you. And I've, I've had tiny, tiny little pieces like a hummingbird coming in. And it is, it is, it is, you know, a beautiful when you create something where everybody feels incredible about the victorious results you're making an incredible impact on high school uh and and college uh, uh adults uh right who are you know creating and 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 then with your coaching business and your training business making such an impact so i'm so glad we got this hour you know together i hope we get more hours together and I'm going to encourage anybody who's listening uh, to the recordings. And, and and this is, we're going to put this on our podcast too, uh, Joanne. I think it was such an important lesson for educators, you know, to hear and they need to hear you most importantly. Um, so tell, tell everybody one more time, uh, where can they follow your blog? How can they catch you on LinkedIn? Um, so then they can start to connect with you and hear more of your greatness. Yep. You can find me. You can either check me out at Joanne Hall at LinkedIn. Um, Hallway Consulting is also on LinkedIn. And my blog is hallway-consulting.com. Yeah. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram too, but those are the LinkedIn and, and my blog are the easiest places to find me. Yeah. But I would love some feedback people have. Anything you want to hear on leadership. That was great. And, and I think what, you know, as you said, I just love what you shared about aren't 99% of people like S styles, right? There's like a, like a couple of us D's and we tend to be, and I mean, in a sense, you're right. I feel like every big disc leadership, you know, profile that we've done in our winning with people program, like most of everybody sits in that bottom right-hand corner and then you got one or two maybe dots at the top uh, and, and they're, you know, sometimes the leader, but, you know, to, to lead effectively and lead well, you got to get off your own agenda you got to be really true and authentic with yourself about what you're great at and what you're not and, and, and truly find, uh, um, you know, people and value people What John is always talking to us about. You can't lead people you don't value. And if you don't value them, they're not going to buy in for sure. And without their buy-in, you're barely going to achieve victory. Maybe you might be a bear. Right. You might, you might, you might constantly be in those top three draft picks. And <laughs> you might. Yeah. And as my son always says, yeah, dad, you're just going to get another early draft pick and draft someone who's not very good. And I'm like, ah, 
I said, I know, buddy, because it's all about leadership. Leadership at the top is important. So thank you so much, uh, Joanne and you know Vanessa and Carrie and everybody for being on. And if you're listening to the recording, I highly encourage you to reach out to uh, Joanne. Uh, follow her on 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 her pages, and I'll I'll make sure that the links uh, to her uh, pages are in the show notes of everything we do here. So appreciate you, my friend, and uh, will I see you at the IMC in March? You- you will. You will. I can't wait. Okay. I'm I'm in. I just got my registration secured today. And so also everybody, oh, can we do this? Okay. You talked a little bit about your like I'm or your Maxwell experience, right? What's what's one reason a uh, an education leader should join the Maxwell leadership team? Oh, well, okay. So I'm going to just be honest. I joined originally because I thought the curriculum, I could steal the curriculum and use it in my corporate training world at work. Uh Um, But I tell people I joined the Maxwell organization because I thought the content was great, but I stay for the people. Um, I have met some of the most enriching, genuine, and intelligent people I have ever met. Um, And they are they are soul touching people, um, but they are some of the wisest and smartest and thought provoking people I have ever met um, when it comes to how do we help the world become a better place. And I think in education, that's really why we all gravitate to it because we really want to serve. And even as a D, I really want to serve. Um, yeah. And I really want the world to the world around me to be a better place. And I think the the people in the Maxwell organization all have that same purpose and vision. Um, how we get there is a little bit different, but that's why I think everyone in education, it just gives you this different lens. And I can speak personally how I feel like my leadership style and myself as a person have been transformed just in the short amount of time I've been in this organization. Yeah. No, I mean, you, I mean, you nailed it. It's uh I tell educators all the time and I've, I've been lucky enough to bring, I think I've brought 12 or 13 people into the program and most of them educators. And I just always say to them that first IMC that you get to walk through those doors, like you've probably never experienced anything like it. Like, it's just like, I mean, I said, imagine your staff meetings on Wednesdays where where the you know where the teachers are so excited, like they come dancing in the room. Dancing in the room. Right? And so I just said, so so I had one this past uh, uh you know, maybe it was 2022, and she like she goes. I've never, it's like, I've never seen people sprint to the front of the, like, I know. I said, it's just this amazing culture and that's that um, uh, growth environment. So. uh, And I, I would say too, I think we give so much of ourselves in education that sometimes we can become really depleted mm. and really exhausted from all that we give that coming to the IMC and being part of conversations you know we have weekly conversations with with our Maxwell friends and and I think they're just energizing conversations so it's a way for us to give back and get that energy back for ourselves so that we can turn around and give back to others I know I always tell everybody I'm like now look you're gonna leave now you can't you can't let your um, environment and at home impact which has happened here like now you have some new DNA where you have to share it. Now, not everybody's going to understand what you're talking about, but that's okay. Don't, don't worry about them. So yeah. Right. Yeah. So great. So if you want to learn more about being a member of the Maxwell leadership, you can either reach it out to Joanne or myself. 
uh, and we can help uh, just, you know, talk you through what that looks like and what might be the benefits because you can bring it back to your own organization. You could do it for your own uh, personal growth. You could do it to, to start your own consulting company, just like, you know, Joanne and I both did in the education field. So again, thanks so much uh, for uh, taking the time and um, I won't root for the Packers, uh, but, oh. um, but, uh, That's right. but you have Craig council now too. So, you know, <laughs> uh, well, no, I'm not a Cubbies fan, but, you know, uh, and actually my wife is a Brewers fan. So she was kind of, you know, a little bit bummed, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting how, you know, things happen, but, uh, yes, uh, very excited, um, to see you in person in, in March. And again, everybody continue leadership evolves daily, not in the day. So every day, five minutes right? Five minutes of reflection. Maybe it's five minutes of reading, five minutes of a podcast. Just start start where you are. It's okay. You don't have to do 30 minutes an hour a day, but eventually you want to kind of grow that piece out when you see the results. So thanks again, everybody. Have an amazing night. And again, happy Veterans Day to everybody. Thank you so much for your service and your sacrifice uh, so we could all live, live a, a more empowered life. Hey, thanks everybody for listening to this special episode of the Principal's Office podcast, where I asked uh, one of my fellow John Maxwell leadership team members, Joanne Hall, to uh, join me to talk about two really critical laws, the law of victory and the law of buy-in. Now, if you want to, to be a part of this uh, leadership study, you can. I've dropped the uh, show note link uh, here and 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 you can participate with us. Now, we've got a few weeks to go live uh, and and you could hop right in and you'll have lifetime access uh, to all of our recordings, uh, the video lessons, the workbook, uh, and I'll send you a special copy of the book. So go ahead and uh, click the link and send us and tell us where to send your book to. And it'll be there in a couple of days and you'll have an opportunity uh, to grow because leadership evolves daily, not in a day. Thanks again.